0: Hello and welcome to IEEE Software Wolves Podcast. Could you please introduce yourself?
1: Hi, I'm Robert Shepard, an associate professor in mechanical engineering from Cornell University. Good.
0: Could you please tell us about your research work inside us and what you're currently working on?
1: Yeah, I run the Organic Robotics Lab, um, again at Cornell, and what we do there is try to make robots behave more like organisms mm-hmm. um, using soft materials and new material science.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that you are already a chemist, and now you are a robotist. So could you give us a story about behind this, uh, how we shift uh, <laughs> and how we're working to both sides? Yeah.
1: yeah, so I was a material science uh, graduate student at University of Illinois, um, working on the area of 3D printing, material design, and microfluidics. And then I did a postdoc at Harvard with George Whitesides, an organic chemist. And he told me I'm going to work on soft robots, which is something I hadn't heard of before. Um, And it's a little doubtful, actually. And then I started working on it and realized that this was a pathway for people who work with materials to do robotics. Mm -hmm. And it was very exciting because what you build, you can see moving around and you can interact with it. It's very different from adding a few microliters of sodium hydroxide to a suspension of silica nanoparticles where you can't... I mean, that's also interesting, but I, I found robotics uh, to be more interesting to me, and so that that was really cool. Soft robotics is an area where material scientists can be roboticists, and roboticists can become material scientists. Computer programmers can, you know, work on um, mechanisms. It's, it's a very great, rich area for multidisciplinary research. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. So, you are convinced now to be a robotista, or you know, which, one, which one you would like to be defined?
1: <laughs> oh, that's that's a very... I actually don't know how to answer that question. Uh, I, I'm proud to say that just a week ago, mm-hmm. um, I was doing an interview with somebody, and they called me a roboticist, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, well, I guess I, I am a roboticist now, and okay. I like that, so you can call me a roboticist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, for your work, because you have interesting work about soft materials, and uh, as far as we have a material actuation by pneumatic system. But I think you're more concerned about intelligence as a material and mm-hmm. energy. Can mm-hmm. you please tell more about how you really can make a material intelligent material mm-hmm. and add intelligence to it, mm-hmm. it and energy? So, yeah. yeah.
1: So, I, so there's, there's a couple. There's um, the idea of embodied intelligence um, that I've learned about from a lot of great people like uh, Rolf Pfeiffer and Josh Bongard. This is the idea that the materials can interact with the environment. Um, And you you can design them to interact with the environment in an intelligent way. Um, A piece of rubber, for example, if you push it onto the edge of a desk, it will wrap around the desk. And that's because the stress input from that corner is causing deformation in the rubber. That's a computation. It's a stress into a strain response. Um, and you don't, when you, when you have materials may, that are so much stiffer than, inv- than, um, you know, than what they're interacting with, that doesn't happen. So the idea is that we want to design materials to deform in a intelligent way with what they're interacting with. And we can use that information to reduce the complexity required for the control system that's operating the robot. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. So, if we ask you about what the current limitation or mm-hmm. challenges you would like to solve, I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because this research is still emerging, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. what limitations do you think you would like to solve or
1: have it to? Resolve? Yeah, well, there's a lot of um, first demonstrations in our field. Like, we have a first demonstration of this and this and this, and it's all really great stuff. But when it comes to doing that interesting thing many times, um, or for that one, that doing it for a long time, we kind of fail there. So getting robots that can perform uh, for a long time in a reliable way is something I want to work on. And so what we're trying to do is establish this concept of embodied energy, where, like the idea of embodied intelligence, but we're actually putting electrochemical or other energy storage as many places as we can into the robot while allowing embodied intelligence to occur um, and so we have a paper that came out recently um, in Nature on that where we put a flow cell battery chemistry which is basically a liquid battery and replace the hydraulic fluid in a robot to increase the system's energy density so that's what I'm very much interested in doing is doing things like that more, adding more and more energy into a robot so they can perform operations for longer periods in an untethered way.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, beyond this technology, what could be the application you foresee for,
1: mm-hmm.
0: for intelligence of materials?
1: Okay, well, yeah, applications are very important. There's short-term applications and long-term applications. Uh, in the short-term, uh, we can use these uh, fluidic and soft actuators for haptic interfaces, so touch experience um, in virtual reality simulations and training. If you're a medical surgeon, you may want to train in a virtual reality environment before working on animals and especially on humans. Um, so being able to feel what you're doing, I think would be important there. Um, this idea of VR simulation training is applicable beyond that. There's many fields where you want to train in a virtual environment first, and feeling and touching is be important to that, and soft robotics are a perfect case to do that. Other examples are in agriculture. Um, there are several startup companies working in the area of agriculture right now. Uh, Soft Robotics Incorporated is one, um, and where they're making grippers that can wrap around objects and pick things. Um, I think OpenAI is another one. And then you can actually pick and place fruit. Um, or in, a, in logistics, in, in manufacturing, um, you can pick and place objects they are coming down the assembly line. So those are short-term applications. But those, those can be tethered. Mm-hmm. Um, and an un- for an untethered operation, for search and rescue, or space exploration, or undersea exploration, then untethering is really important. Um, and that's that's the space we want to work on. So more mo- mobility applications.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. So back to the question because you were a chemist as mm-hmm. a first class. So for other researchers that have background in chemistry, do you mm-hmm. think we can conduct research in bullet intelligence or we just have to have background in chemistry? Because I think this is really interesting to have a, a, some understanding how chemistry works and electrochemical. So what do you think is this part? Uh?
1: Well, so I had almost no experience in batteries okay. before working. Before deciding we should add flow cell batteries to soft robots. What instead I, I did was look at biology and see how biology does it and then come up with a simple first thing, we, what I thought was a simple first uh, demonstration uh, so then we I hired a batter a postdoc who knows uh, who knows battery chemistry James Peekle, who designed the flow cell battery to work with the robots um, then we integrated it and now I know enough about battery chemistry to you know do it on my own in my lab mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that you shouldn't so that from, for there's two sides of that. There was me who was unfamiliar with battery chemistry, but I'm familiar with material science. So incorporating the battery chemistry at the interfaces of the robots important. You don't want it to dissolve the robot and things like that. And so that chemistry mattered there. And the other side of it, James didn't really know soft robots. And so from and he came in with an electrochemistry background, not knowing robotics. And now he left with a robotics background, and he's working on these kinds of things in his own lab. So we both learned, and it was a good trade of information. You don't have to be the world's leading expert on batteries to work on batteries and, and robots, and you don't have to be the world's greatest um, chemist to come up with a new packaging material. You really, you really just have to be interested in systems integration and learning enough about something and be willing to work um, with uh, other experts in, in the various fields. And I think everybody, most people would want to do that. It's very exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, last, which is the intelligent part, what do you like? It's probably solving in the long run. So now you focus on what it, the intelligence and software is. But in the long run, after ten years, what do you expect to have?
1: Well, um, I would actually like to have materials that think. Mm. So there's a in the embodied intelligent aspect, the material is going to perform the same operation no matter what the environmental conditions are. So if you put a stress in it and it's at room temperature, it's going to deform the same way each time. Uh, what I would like to have the materials do is say, well, in this instance, I'm going to wrap around the object. In this other instance, I'm not going to, and be able to perform this computation um, in a distributed way not using a central microprocessor um, as we think of it today. Um, there's the idea of small world networks um, that are that Stephen Strogatz actually from Cornell University um, created uh, the idea for quite some time ago and that seems to be how um, octopus tentacles work. They can um, modulate um, the central pattern generator that's operating their arm to do things like grasp and change their shape and, and I think we can do the same thing with materials, use this um, network model in a distributed way using v- very distributed continuous, co-continuous actuator sensor networks.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, so, we heading to uh, for soft robotics in the sector. How do you foresee this work that's been done so far mm-hmm. in the industry sector?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, industrial, I think, at this point, at this stage in the in the lifetime of soft robotics, we, we need to have some industrial use cases, um, and I, and I think we are having we are seeing that there's like I said I think I said this before. Uh, soft Robotics Incorporated and um, this a few other companies. Um, there's Eric's I think is another one that works on haptics, but these are soft actuator companies that are making and, and selling products. So it is happening. Um, these examples so far aren't incorporating sensory feedback um, because one of the valuable aspects of soft robotics is you don't need as much sensory feedback but I think at some point you will need sensory feedback and you'll start seeing robo- robots like we think of as in, like the um, Osimo for example um, where we need feedback control and that may be the ne- another five years before we see sophisticated demonstrations of these kinds of robots and then y- being used in Uh, Food handling or services or um, personal assistance, that kind of thing, is a little bit farther off. But right now, we are seeing soft actuators used industrially. We have a company, myself, where we're um, commercializing wearable sensors Mm -hmm. um, for biomedical applications. Mm -hmm.
0: So you are cooperating with industry also?
1: Uh, We're cooperating with industry by creating our own industry.
0: (laughs) So do you think that's behind this, what we have been done so far, the technology of soft robotics could be survived, because it's like a paradigm or a technology. So I don't know how, how do you think about uh, soft robotics in the long term, would be survived? Or mm-hmm. would we have to do something?
1: How to do So I really genuinely think in, ter- in a bio-inspired way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think purely soft robotics have a lot of great applications and um, underwater vehicles where buoyant support of the ocean will allow large and uh, enduring operations. Um, On land, we don't see many large animals that are totally soft, but we do see many and most of them are exoskeleton or endoskeleton based. So what I do see in the future is a fusion of hard and soft systems, where the soft part will be performing lots of sensing functions um, and and some actuation, but I feel like sensing is going to be the most important part in the midterm for um, soft, uh, hard fusion. So... uh...
0: So for the application for civil communities uh, do you think we have to make activities for outreach in public mm-hmm. to propose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this kind of activities uh, what do you think of having this?
1: yeah so the, the this concept i think i think that soft robots is really good for interest, getting um, communities that normally wouldn't be interested in robotics or think they can do robotics interested in robotics mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of educational out, outreach and middle schools and high schools and even elementary schools um, I've done this too where we show them how to make soft actuators and control them and they love it because they're like playing with balloons and things like that you know so it's it's very fun and if you can get them interested early you can grow them into more and more sophisticated demonstrations and controls um, I met with this, uh, I think it was 12 years old, working um, working with TensorFlow and doing artificial intelligence, uh, <laughs> 12 years old. and uh, I mean, he was remarkably smart, but I think that we're going to see that more and more often, and we're going to get that from this type of community engagement. Okay,
0: great. So the last question is uh, about the marketing and about AI. How we can integrate AI and soft robotics? Mm-hmm. I think you have been done something about uh, in your current works. Could you please tell us? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, I, yeah. Artificial intelligence and uh, machine learning is really and soft robots go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. There's so much material deformation information that you can get and that you need when um, you're deforming a piece of rubber, that's tens of thousands of elements of information, if you place the sensors correctly, that can be transported into a neural network. Um, We've had two uh, demonstrations so far, and many more coming out, where we're using sensory information from distributed sensory information and neural networks to um, infer the shape um, of an object with um, high precision over um, a continu- and continuously, so it's very powerful. Um, at the at the same time, we also need that to control these robots because these robots deform in all kinds of ways when they're in the environment. That is in too difficult a way um, for our current control like sliding air more control or whatever to operate. So we're gonna need neural networks to operate these robots effectively. Again, in a bio-inspired way, we can see how a baby learns Mm -hmm. um, to walk and grab things. They're just constantly touching things and they get better and better and better over time. I think the same thing needs to happen with uh, soft robots and hybrids of hard and soft robots.
0: Mm -hmm. So the last question we have about this advice you can give to student who is interested about soft robotics. Mm, and mm-hmm. actually you are also a beautiful advisor. So when your student comes to you student come to the beginning or the end of the joint PhD, you want to be in academia and mm-hmm. history. So are these advice that you can really uh, give to any student yeah. at the beginning or the end?
1: That's uh, a great question. You should always be thinking about your future. Uh, and in the area, I would the f- first advice I would give is, If you're not a controller theory expert or a computer programmer, don't think you can't work in robots. You can. Um, If you're a chemist, if you are a material scientist, um, if you're a battery, electrochemist for batteries, or a structural engineer, whatever, all of that is required um, to make soft robots and hybrid robots work. At the same time, when you are investing yourself in this multidisciplinary approach, you should focus on being an expert in one particular discipline, but applying that expertise across multiple spectrum. This is called T-shaped thinking, and it's what makes expert designers. And I think the best soft robotics researchers are expert designers. Um, from my own group, um, many of them have gone into industry, um, places like um, NVIDIA, for example, and uh, uh, Oculus at the time. Um, and they're all, they're all doing great. And they're not necessarily working on soft robots, but, you know, so there's an immediate need in industry for designers who have expertise in one field that crosses over multiple, and that's what soft robotics is. Now, in the long term, the longer term, um, soft robotics will in itself be an employer, um, and so then if you're interested in academia, you can, you can work on that longer-term application and stay in the field of soft robots and expect that in the future, you're, you will graduate students that do get jobs working explicitly on soft robotics areas.
0: Great. Um, at the end of all casting, I would like to thank you and the well, IEEE soft robotics community. <laughs> Thanks so much for this. Talk.
1: Thanks very much, Marwa.
0: Thank you. Thank you.